HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Le Creuset, made in France since 1925. The first and finest enameled cast iron cookware, a favorite for generations. For more information, visit lecreuset.com. That's L-E-C-R-E-U-S-E-T.com. I'm HRN's Communications Director, Kat Johnson, with a preview of this week's episode of Meat and Three, our weekly food news roundup. It's Thanksgiving, so we're talking turkey with sweet potato casserole, stuffing, cranberry sauce, and pecan pie. But we're also discovering some surprising truths about this holiday. As it turns out, roasted turkeys are actually nowhere near the original Thanksgiving tables. In fact, most of the foods we eat for Thanksgiving today weren't eaten in Plymouth. And you know, a lot of the dishes came about, well, because of the products that were on the shelves and the marketing that told us this is the product we should use. Every once in a while, though, the consumer creates the food trend. Care to top the turducken, anyone? Uh, I've got to give credit to this fellow that said this is the best pile of meat I've ever had, and then said, but if you added bacon... Tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network, available wherever you listen to podcasts. All righty then, folks. This is What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer. And boy, are we going to have some insights into the food industry today, people, because I have an amazing guest. Chef Andrew Hunter is going to be on the line in just a second. But before we go there, we're going to stop here for a second. I just want to remind my people... Uh, everybody who listens, uh, either in real time or in the next 10 days, I guess. Uh, the tickets are now on sale for our Winter in the Garden Heritage Radio Network's Holiday Party and Tasting. It is Monday, December 3rd in the Palm House and Yellow Magnolia Cafe at the Brooklyn Botanical Garden. Um, it starts at 6 p.m. for VIP and 7 p.m. for general admission. You can go to our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Org slash gala. Uh, that will take you to the event right page and uh, you can purchase your tickets there. If I'm not mistaken, and don't hold me to this, but if I'm not mistaken, if you uh, key in the name of my show, What Doesn't Kill You All One Word, uh, you should get some sort of a discount. So um, join us. I'm going to go and. Um, well, I'm, I'm making the trek. I'm making the Hodge from Rhode Island. And by the way, one of the things that we're auctioning off, there is a silent auction. There's fantastic tastings. 
amazing chefs who have contributed their time and efforts to making beautiful food for this event. Uh, there's beer, wine, sake, and signature cocktails, including cocktails developed by the one and only Dave Arnold, uh, along with Sother Teague and Damon Bolte from... Um, Speakeasy. Um, there's just some incredible stuff going on there, but the silent auction includes my own small contribution. Um, and this is by no means the best thing on the list, but it's still my thing on the list. And that is a weekend at my fabulous, and I do mean fabulous house in Wakefield, Rhode Island. Of course, you'll be not allowed to come during July and August, but any other time of the year, you're welcome. Um, it is well worth your while. There's a lot to do there, especially if you come during the warmer months. So um, without further ado, we're going to uh, crank up our interview with the one and only chef, Andrew Hunter. Andrew has worked in various segments of the industry, food industry, including fine and casual dining, as well as research and development. He currently develops retail and consumer food products for companies, including Wolfgang Puck Worldwide, Nyman Ranch, which is how we met Martha Stewart, and Kiko Mann. He develops menus and operating systems for numerous fast, casual, and casual dining restaurant groups, and he serves as both executive chef for Nyman and Ranch and food service and industrial chef for Kikoman. Welcome to the show, Andrew. I'm really excited that you were able to join me today. Hi, thank you. Well, thank you for having me. It's a it's it's a lot of fun. It's a joy and a delight, Andrew. Just go ahead and say it. It's a joy and a delight. We know that. <laughs> if it's if it's if it's half as much fun as we had at dinner in um, Des Moines a couple of months ago, then it'll be well worth it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, I guarantee as good a time, although the wine served is up to you in this case, unfortunately, <laughs> as opposed to the excellent vintages and cocktails we were afforded at that gala dinner. Um, I'm sorry you can't come to our winter gala, but sadly, Andrew lives in California, folks, where he is currently wearing a respirator. Um, well, I hope that's not actually true, but I know you have terrible air quality in your area. Are you okay today? We are okay. It seems I live in Southern California. I think we're better off air quality-wise than than Northern California, but neither are, are good. Um, neither are good. But it is getting a little bit better down here. I'm glad to hear that. Having driven from Rhode Island today to make this show, um, you know, I'm listening to National Public Radio the whole way. I know I don't. I should be listening to Heritage, but actually I'm kind of a news junkie. So I really need to listen to NPR because I have to find out what's going just in case Trump has inadvertently blown up something. Um, And (laughs) so needless to say, the the airwaves are absolutely filled with what's going on in California um, all day, every day. It's just I, I. cannot uh, possibly express my sorrow for the tens of thousands of people who are now unhoused uh, in Northern and Southern California. It's just, it's a, it's a heartbreaking story and we are only at the very beginning of it. So um, anyway, Andrew, that's not what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about exciting and fun innovations in the food industry because you, as a person who develops uh, for both restaurants and for brands, uh, have your finger on the pulse of the food industry. So Yeah, well, thank you. You're welcome. And so when we were talking yesterday to kind of plan out this show, we were talking about the future of meat. And of course, you and I having met under the auspices of Nyman Ranch, um, which I'm happy to do an infomercial for, even though that's not normally how I play my show. Um, the, uh, you know, the, the, the way people consume meat is obviously changing. So why don't you talk a little bit about um, sort of the, the blended burger that you've been working on, uh, the sort of the plant-based, plant-forward type of innovations that are coming through the ground, sort of the ground meat sector? Sure. And so one of the things that I, that I think a lot of people 
of all different ages and demographics are thinking about is is how how do I how do I reduce the amount of animal protein that I'm eating? Um, but but not most people aren't trying to get aren't aren't trying to eliminate it from their diets. So they're thinking about what we call them meat reducers. And, um, and, and I think that companies, premium purpose and mission driven companies like Nyman Ranch and, and others, there are others in the same category. Um, we appreciate that. We want you to be mindful about the meat that you eat and the, <clears throat> the quantities that you eat and how often you eat it, because it's how, I mean, we've set up our business in a way that is mindful. And so we appreciate consumers that, that are, are the same. Um, and so we, we often think about um, how can I combine this meat with, with vegetables, different kinds of protein. So it's not, not that it's a garnish. We don't want you to use it as a garnish, but we kind of want you to think about meat the way a lot of the rest of the world does, and that's a component of the meal, an important component, but a component of the meal versus always being center of the plate. We also want you to think about how often per week you eat meat. You know, Nyman and companies like ours have products that we hope you eat often, and we have products that we know are a special occasion or an indulgence, and that might be because they cost more or it might be because it's a ribeye and, you know, you really should only eat a ribeye on occasion. Um, so, so we want you to think about what we have to offer um, and not limit yourself, but, but again, make mindful, mindful choices. You mentioned blending. Blending yeah. is a really, a really interesting way to think about eating ground meat. And the ground meat can be, usually it's beef or pork, but it can also be chicken and, and to some extent it can be fish. And it's, it involves blending into a ground, like a, a ground, a pound of ground meat, it, 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 25% or more should be roasted mushrooms. You can also put, um, I heard I heard earlier something about bacon. You could put ground bacon into the blend. You can put um, roasted onions. You can put all kinds of things. You should sort of think about seasoning from the inside out. So now this burger becomes kind of a taste explosion, um, and it's also better for you because it has straw, less saturated fat, less sodium as a result of having some percentage of mushrooms in it. Right. And so it's, it's, a, it's an interesting way. And I think what's also fun about it is that fine dining chefs and restaurants have, have latched on to it, as have um, casual dining. And there's even a fast food brand that has a blended burger on the menu that I understand is doing quite well. No kidding. What about in the retail sector? I, I'm wondering if there are, you know, you can buy pre-made patties, you know, whether it's from uh, Schweiden Sons or Nyman Ranch or, you know, whatever. Does Nyman Ranch do pre-made patties, actually? I know they're pushing the beef, oh, you know, right now. But in any case, are there blended burgers that are available on a retail level in stores as well? Do you see that happening, moving into that sector? Or is it still on restaurant menus more than anything else? 
There are blended burgers that are available um, for food service purchase. I'm not positive if there's a blended burger like in the freezer case. Right. That's um, what I was thinking. But what, but what you're starting to see now in the refrigerated produce section, you're starting to see the mushrooms that have been roasted and ground. Really? And so you at home can can blend them into your meat and you can blend them in at, you know, I know consumers don't think in terms of percentages like I do, but you can blend in some percentage uh, that you're comfortable with into, into whatever kind of ground meat you're, you're using. But remember that the better the ground meat tastes by itself and all of the different attributes, humane and sustainable attributes that it has by itself will just be bolstered by adding delicious, you know, things like mushrooms. Right. So you got to start with something delicious to end up with something delicious. Well, yeah. I mean, I I think that uh, I don't think any of my listeners are are the type of people that go to, um, uh, you know, I don't know, Western beef or one of those places and buy, you know, (laughs) buy the 89 cent a pound ground or whatever. You know, I mean, it can be kind of scary. Um, in fact, it always makes me think of the of the terrible horse meat scandal in England a few years back. Did you follow that, Andrew? Where there was um, there was a, a incredible special at Tesco for ground beef patties. I believe they were. They they love those preformed patties in in the UK, and um, and it turned out when they were just sort of randomly tested by a lab in um, Ireland, it turned out to be you know ninety percent horse meat. And there was just like a huge woohoo. Not that there's anything inherently wrong with horse meat, except for the fact that it's not inspected and it doesn't have, uh, you know, there are no um, controls over the kinds of drugs that are given. These are just horses that are retired from the racetrack or whatever, and they, and they get ground up um, in other countries, not ours. We don't have that. But we do import well, meat, and it can come into our our supply chain as well. So I, hence the cautionary moment of saying, if something is too cheap to believe, don't buy it. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And most importantly, those consumers who bought the horse meat patties thought they were buying beef patties. Yes. So, so you really, you really should be selling what, what you what you say. But I think you make a great point about if it's. You know, if it seems like a great deal, it may well be um, too good to be true. Yeah, I mean, I think that's almost always true. You know, buy once, buy right is my motto. And so and so that that sort of brings us back to the sort of growth curve of uh, companies like Nyman Ranch um, that are seeing an expansion as consumers are becoming you know, more hip to what goes on in the meat industry and maybe not um, as excited about seeing meat at the center of the plate all the time. I'm trying to think of other companies. Um, We talked about Snake River, I know. We talked about um, Creekstone Farms is another company that uh, does really nice work and um, is selling at least into the retail, into the restaurant sector, if not into retail. Um, But those companies are are seeing a big um, surge in popularity, I would say. Um, is that your impression also as somebody who develops products for other companies and brands and, and retail types? It is. I think consumers are getting much more savvy about, about the different issues that they care about. And so, you know, I think that Nyman and, and other companies 
like who you mentioned, we 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 spend a lot of time and energy um, doing things right, and or at least right by how we define it. And you know, Nyman's very transparent, so you you can go to our website or reach out to us, and we'll tell you what we're doing. And then if that if that jives with or jives with what you think is right, then you know, boom, it's, right. it's a good match. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. but so we want people to be, um, selective and, and to use mindful again, we want you to be mindful and selective because we are. And, um, and so are a lot of our, our good competitors. And by the way, we like those competitors because sure. you can't be the only person or company in, in a market and expect to do well. Um, but, I think to your point about the growth curve, you know, Nyman, we keep up, but but it's every day we think about how 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 are we going to keep up with demand, and so. Um, but I think what that also creates is loyalty, especially in our in our chef community, because chefs know that the that the more loyal they are, the you know the better their chances are of, of getting into, into the mix. And, um, so, you know, that speaks, speaks volumes about how dedicated our customers are Uh and, and how much they want to be a part of, of the Nyman or somebody else's premium, premium meat program. Um, I can't speak directly to the numbers of, of how Nyman is growing mostly because I don't, because I don't know them, in detail, but, but, but I know that, you know, I look at factors like how many farmers are we adding? Right. You know, a, a farmer is a direct representation to, I'm sure there's a multiple, um, the average farmer is able to produce however much, you know, however many animals or pounds of meat and, and the farmer network is, is growing you know, at a rapid pace. And to me, that means that, that the company is growing right. at a rapid pace as well. We're going to break right now for a quick sponsor drop, and we'll be right back with Chef Andrew Hunter, uh, a recipe and brand developer uh, who I met through Nyman Ranch, but who has a finger in many pies. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hey, 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 I'm Jimmy Carboni, the host of Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. I was introduced to Le Creuset Cast Iron Skillets many years ago in my first restaurant, Muggsy's Chow Chow in the East Village. Le Creuset has the superior heat retention of cast iron paired with unparalleled performance and the ease of enamel. That means delicious food with easy cleanup. And I love easy cleanup after running my own restaurants in New York for 23 years. Le Creuset Original Heirloom Cookware is backed by a lifetime warranty. Their bold colors and timeless designs allow for an expression of personal style in the kitchen and beyond. Head to lecreuset.com slash HRN. That's L-E-C-R-E-U-S-E-T dot com to see all the new products and amazing holiday gift deals. HRN listeners will get 20% off the new Le Creuset cookbook with the code HRN. Well, let's let's talk for a second about, um, you know, uh, one of the interesting things that happened to Nyman, and this is now going back two or three years, I think, is that it was acquired by Purdue, as in 
the Purdue Chicken Company. And you have made an interesting observation about that um, yesterday when we were chatting, which was that they didn't just buy it to look good. You know, they bought it for other reasons. Can you talk a little bit more about what, you know, what you think Purdue was after when they acquired a company like Nyman Ranch? Because it wasn't like it was a fire sale or anything. I mean, Nyman Ranch was doing fine. Um, but Purdue has had an impact and obviously they wanted something. What were the things do you think they wanted? Well, and, and, and I think it's important to say this is, this is Andrew observation right, right. versus what their, what their actual business plan is with Nyman. But, and, and if I look at other companies, other large companies that buy smaller, mindful, purpose-driven companies, they're, they're looking I think a lot of it is they're looking for education. They're looking at how can we turn this company that's doing all of these things that we like and how can we translate what they're doing into our business? Um, how can we treat our animals more humanely or, or differently? How can we, you know, um, back the antibiotics out and, right. and market yeah and and whether that is antibiotics or whether it's the amount of space the animals get or or how do they um do their quality assessments and and all of that sort of thing i think they're also looking for a certain kind of passion and dedication that the company and its people have because people companies are people really um how can they get a, an infusion of some of that same passion um, into their own bigger company? And um, and I think some of it, I think we would be remiss not to say that some of it is, is credibility um, out there in the marketplace. But I don't I also don't think that there's anything wrong with that either, um, especially if they're using that credibility to help, you know, build a direction within their own bigger brand. Right, right. Where they're expanding further into kind of Nyman Ranch style territory or or White Oak Pastures or what, you know, what have you, whichever company um, is in your region that is doing uh, animal agriculture the way you'd like to see it done across the board. Um, certainly, uh, you know, having written a book about animal agriculture on an industrial scale, I can tell you that what we're doing now uh, is not going to be uh, something that we can continue to do in the coming decades. It's just we just don't we will run out of arable land available to grow the kinds of crops needed to feed animals on that kind of industrial scale as opposed to pastured management, which is, you know, what what we, we hope the model will become more like. Um, you know, I love it when I just go blobbity blobbity blob. Sorry, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> But if more people like let's talk a little bit about like the consumer, like what you've seen as a trend in how consumers approach buying meat. We were talking about blended burgers at the top of the show, but but there's you know, there's more there's that sense of purpose driven um, and that is pushing like the big companies you work for. You work for Kikoman. You've worked for Wolfgang Puck. You've worked for, you know, Martha Stewart. Um, how is that translated into how they approach their brands? and the kinds of products well, I, that they develop. I've also worked for some of the big, um, you know, fast food brands oh, yeah. um, that that might be 
considered by many of many of of, of your listeners as part of the evil empire, mm-hmm. um, and to some degree they're right. But I also think that those brands, you know, there's there's still people at the heart of those brands trying to make, you know, smart smart decisions, and they're paying close attention to uh, what consumers are doing what they're thinking and then what they're doing and how that translates to their spending and, and so forth. And what they're, what they're, and they're also looking at the success of brands like Nyman Ranch. And um, so I think just as a consumer, a conscientious consumer myself, I think that we should support those brands when they are making decisions about going to antibiotic free beef or antibiotic free chicken or, buying cage-free eggs or whatever it is yeah. that um, – because ultimately, even if you think in pure economic terms, ultimately, if, you know, big burger brand USA that has five or 10 or 15,000 units, if they're buying um, antibiotic-free um, pork, for example, guess what that does to our prices as consumers? It helps them. It helps the supply. It helps the prices go down. It helps the supply go up, and therefore the prices go down. Right. And and just from sort of a pure environmental and animal, um, a humane animal perspective, um, it makes sense. The more people are treating animals better, the better it is for all the animals. I know that sounds sort of overly simple, but but it's a little bit. I but- think it's a. It but is I think true. it's a truism. It's no, a truism, right? Well, uh, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that because next week, and we did discuss this, um, I'm going to be interviewing uh, Compassion and World Farming, who have been uh, an NGO that has assisted Panera, uh, one of those big brands that has committed to things like antibiotic-free meat and cage-free eggs and stuff like that. And then, so that'll be next week. And then the week after that, I'm interviewing this guy named Bob Langert, who was the corporate social responsibility officer for McDonald's for 15 years. And as you said, it's like, these are companies that you think of as kind of being the drivers of, you know, the less than ideal model for industrial meat supply. And yet it was McDonald's that hired Temple Grandin the first time to um, you know, to design her animal, uh, her uh, her slaughterhouse facilities where the animals go through the serpentine and everything. They were the biggest early supporters of Temple Grandin and the idea of more humanely uh, processed meat. So, you know, it, as you said, it's, it's important to recognize that these corporate chains um, do have a huge impact on the supply overall. But talk a little bit about what it takes to change a supply chain I mean, you're at that level where you see, you know, when a when a company decides that it wants to go with a with a product that is somewhat different, maybe somewhat better, maybe a little more pricey. How do they manage that supply chain change? Well, it's sometimes it's frustratingly slow. It's a lot. Sometimes it's like turning around, you know, the Titanic. Yeah. Um, but you're right. The Titanic, if it's going in this, if it continues on the same course, it's probably going to hit that iceberg, right? <laughs> we actually know, we know from history that it did. And you just talked about whether our commercial supply chain is sustainable. And I agree with you that, that there's a lot of problems and challenges. So in some ways, they have no choice. It takes a long time. Um, some of that is, 
their mindset. Some of it is just that they're used to things, projects taking a long time. You know, I've been known to stamp my feet in, in meeting rooms and saying, you guys are making this too hard. It doesn't have to be that hard. Mm -hmm. You, yes, you have to dot your I's and cross your T's and do audits and those sorts of things, but it, it doesn't have to be this hard. You shouldn't have to wait till 2025 to say now we're fully integrated with, you know, cage free eggs or, or whatever it is. So, um, but there are a lot of steps to take and, you know, there's also a lot of legal pressure as well to make sure that, you know, um, companies are doing what they're saying they're doing that we're, you know, that we're planning on buying from. Uh-huh. Um, but so it, it takes a long time. And then the other thing is that when you have thousands of restaurants, just the production of the product and making sure that it can be produced in the volume with the um with the consistency and the availability that that we need, because the absolute worst thing for a big brand to do is to roll out um, some some new product that that has all of these great characteristics that they're building into their brand and they're they're advertising for. And then all of a sudden the producer says, oh, well, gee, I'm sorry, but it's not available. So so that's a big fear is, is availability and making sure that it is available um, so that they can actually be selling what, what they say they are. Well, remember when Chipotle ran out of pork? Remember that? And Nyman Ranch was able to step in, but they ran out of pork producers that met their requirements. This was like four or five years ago. I don't know if you remember that. I mean, Chipotle is kind of irrelevant now. But um, at the time, they were like, everybody was like, oh, my God, they use cage-free eggs and grass-fed beef and blah, blah, blah. And they, they couldn't guarantee their supply chain. So you've just well, illustrated. I think, I'm sorry. I think it was some, I think it was a supplier that didn't do what they said they were doing. I think that's and- right, yeah. So credit to Chipotle because they said, well, this is what we're telling our consumers or our guests. And if you're not doing that, then we can't. It was a painful decision, I'm sure. If you're not doing that, then we can't we can't use your product. And therefore, now we're in a bind. Um, But I, I actually I disagree, Katie. I don't think Chipotle is is irrelevant. Chipotle is certainly, you know, we're all watching the the trials and tribulations, but they are a brand that, as illustrated by that last example, that really is trying to do things. I'm sure they're not perfect. I'm not, I don't do anything with Chipotle, so I don't have any vested interest, but but I'm sure they're trying to, they're struggling with all of these different food safety things. And on one hand, they're using a lot of fresh ingredients. Oh yeah, and they and, make and, and they have make they make everything right in house in each one of the kitchens, unless they've they changed start, that. I think they're starting to change that, but initially that's what was happening, right? Well, they they certainly are doing a lot of a lot of in kitchen production themselves and so forth. Remarkably so for a QSR, yeah, um, and so or a quick serve restaurant. Um, so I think inherent is in in that is. Um, some challenges with food safety. They actually get a lot more press and it's a lot more detrimental because they have 
thousands of restaurants. But um, but no, I think that I can't tell you how often clients or potential clients come to me and they say, we want to do Chinese food, but with the Chipotle model. I mean, for for the industry, they've figured out a lot of smart processes, mm-hmm. and so a lot of people want to imitate them. It, isn't there a saying like imitation is the sincerest the form, form of, flattery. of flattery? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I, and I, I misspoke when I was saying that they're irrelevant. I just think they're sort of like they they don't command the same uh, interest as they did when they opened, only because what they're doing is is not as brand new as it was when they first started. Right? I mean, you know, it's it's a lot more mainstream to be buying from companies like Nyman Ranch if you're a, a QSR than it was ten, fifteen years ago. I guess that's that was my point, right? They've they've really become part of the fabric. They're not yeah. the disruptor, I right. think, in quite the same way. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess you go from disruptor to pioneer. Remember that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so um, we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up pretty soon. But just um, to touch on that last thing that that you t- spoke about, which was um, being able to tell, you know, you're marketing something to, um, you know, to a client base. You're saying, oh yes, I'm buying, you know, exclusively blah 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 from you know from you know X Y Z excellent company, gold standard, yada yada. H- how much do you think, uh, you know, because we were talking a little bit about greenwashing. Because greenwashing has become quite a problem in restaurants, um, both, uh, I don't know if it's in, in quick service restaurants, but certainly in some of the more high-end dining restaurants, you know, that say, oh, I'm I'm selling an heirloom tomato that was picked in the last, next county over, and it actually it turned out to be from, you know, from Chile, because, of course, tomatoes only grow, you know, <laughs> certain months out of the year. But, I mean, how often do you feel like, um, that is an issue uh, in the world that you inhabit. I am a lot. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Interesting. I, I honestly, I think buyer beware. You, if if a, if it kind of goes back to if it's if it's a great deal, it might be too good to be true. If a restaurant is talking about all of the different ways or all of the different farms, et cetera, that they purchase from. It's not that it's never true. And it's, it's like none of it is true, even on a bad day. I think you really have to take those kinds of promises with a grain of salt. Listen, no chef is going to say, my motto is to use the worst ingredients from as far away as I can get them. <laughs> yeah, right. Of course. Nobody's going to say that. <laughs> so then they make promises and you got to keep up with the Joneses. And so now they keep promises that, or excuse me, they make promises that they, that they can't keep very quickly. I know we're running out of time, but there's a, a fast food concept. It's a breakfast concept in North Carolina um, that I work for. And they have a lot of really great brand pillars. Um, uh-huh. They buy from family-owned businesses whenever they can. But here's the one that I wanted to talk about. They they talk about the region that they buy from. And they were really smart because they didn't define it by 200 miles. They didn't define it by 250 or what have you. They talk about buying from family-owned businesses in the Southeast. So as a quick example, we were putting a fried, a fried catfish sandwich on the menu. They could have bought catfish from North Carolina, but they 
found a better company that met their standards, et cetera, um, much more robustly from Mississippi. Mm. So I don't know how many miles it is from Greensboro, North Carolina to Mississippi, but um, but it's more than 200. Uh, but it was a better, it was smarter. So I think yeah. what smart companies, and Thomas Keller has said, has said this also, um, smart, smart chefs, brands, big companies are buying from vendors that are doing a good job within their own communities. Um, And so local doesn't have to be local to me. Local has to be that I'm doing something of relevance in my own locale. And then now I can ship lobster from, from Maine to, to, um, to Napa, but it's the best lobster that I can possibly buy, and they treat their employees well, et cetera. So I think instead of like a mile distance, we should think about what is the quality of that company and what are they doing in their own community. And I think just to quickly bring it back to Nyman Ranch, Nyman Ranch does amazing work within, you know, a big swath of the Midwest. Yes, but it they're, does. Yeah. But their families, family farms that are stitched together, if you will, to create enough volume to supply the demand. So it's very difficult for someone who wants to buy Nyman or a company like Nyman and say, I'm getting it from 200 miles away. Instead, they can say, I'm buying from this essentially a cooperative of family farms. And and that makes much more sense to me. I, I agree. I, I I always had a problem with the with the local religion, you know, like because if the best I mean, I remember Patrick Martin saying this years and years ago, the guy who founded Heritage Foods USA and, you know, Heritage Radio Network. He said, look, if the best apricots are from Yemen, then that's where I want my <laughs> apricots from. I don't want them from next door if they're going to be crummy. You know, it's like and Bill Nyman himself said you know, the mid, I think it was Bill said, you know, the, the Midwest is where cattle grows, you know, like that's the best place for cattle. So you shouldn't be forcing, you know, cattle, uh, husbandry onto areas in the, in the Northeast where it's just not suitable. You know what I mean? It's like you, you, you try to go where it's going to be the best. I, I couldn't agree more. I think it's the only smart way. And so just, just pay attention to, uh, to your listeners, pay attention to when you're going to restaurants and, you know, think about how much prime beef is actually available. And if all of these big brands are saying they're serving prime ribeye, they're, they're probably not. And I say to the restaurants, there's nothing wrong with a, a beautiful choice steak. Right. Just, you know, just be honest. And, and I think that um, most people are still going to come to your restaurant if you tell them really what you're buying. Yeah. And also, I love I love what you said about, is it good for the community that it's in? I think that's mm-hmm. that, that should be like tattooed on every chef's forearm. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, thank you so, so much for joining me today. As usual, I forgot to break for a sponsor drop, um, but we'll find a place to stick that in. And uh, thank you very much for joining me today. This is the first of what turns out to be like three or four programs about supply chain. Who knew? I thought I was doing stuff about water, but you know, I got sidetracked. Anyway, (laughs) thank you so much. And um, I look forward to seeing you very soon. 
Have a happy holiday, you're very, my dear. You're very welcome. It okay. was a pleasure. Thank, Thank you. you. Stay safe. Bye-bye. Have you heard? It's party time. Monday, December 3rd is Winter in the Garden, Heritage Radio Network's second annual year-end gala at the Brooklyn Botanic Gardens Palm House and Yellow Magnolia Cafe. Join HRN staff, hosts, members, and some very talented chefs and bartenders for a delicious evening that will kick off the holiday season and support our end-of-year fundraising drive. The evening will begin with a VIP hour, complete with bubbles and oysters. Then, all of our guests will work their way around two spacious rooms filled with food stations and bars, sampling fare from some of our favorite chefs. Sip on your choice of cocktails, beer, wine, sake, and cider while bidding on exclusive silent auction items. 2019 is our 10th anniversary. So, whether you've been a member since Roberta's first opened, or if you just discovered your new favorite food podcast, please consider supporting us with a ticket purchase so we can start the year on solid ground. We'd love to see you at the Garden. So join us on December 3rd. For more information and to purchase tickets, go to heritageradionetwork.org slash gala.